if we will stay the course, if we will hang on to Jesus, and you know, that's part of the good news is we don't have to do this alone. In fact, if we try to do it alone, it's gonna be miserable and frustrating. Thank you for downloading our podcast. Make sure you subscribe to get new ones every week. And don't forget to check out First United Methodist Sweetwater's website and social media. Now, here is Pastor Ryan Strebeck. You know, Christianity takes it as a given that we will be transformed. Christianity just makes that assumption that we will be changed, we will be transformed into the likeness of God. And so that's one of the things that's really highlighted from this story. It's a great story that comes, Mark is such a precise storyteller. If you'll remember, Mark's gospel has 16 chapters. And right at the end of the eighth chapter, there's this major turning point, and the book is divided in half by volume, and it's also divided in half by what's about to happen. So from the end of chapter 8 through the end of chapter 16, Jesus is moving rapidly towards what we would call his passion, his death, his suffering, and then ultimately his resurrection. And so that's what's happening in this story is, is the disciples are beginning to figure out because Jesus is telling them, hey, I must go. It is necessary that I go to Jerusalem and I will suffer unjustly and I must be crucified. And on the third day, I'll rise again. And the disciples object. Peter especially, he says, no way. Lord, you can't do that. And that's not how it's going to work. And what does Jesus have to tell him at the end of chapter 8? Peter, you're going to have to get behind me, uh, Satan. You don't have in mind the things of God, but you're thinking on a human level, and that's not how this is going to work. So the disciples know they're a part of something great. They know that following Jesus is taking them places they never imagined they would go. They know this is the real king of Israel. They know that this is the one who can be trusted with all of life, and yet they haven't fully grasped what the glory of Jesus is going to look like. The fact that the glory of Jesus is going to include suffering and death And that glory will come from that place of brokenness and death is hard for them to wrap their minds around. It's hard for them to believe. It's hard for them to be transformed. And I find that that is also difficult for me. Uh, The glory of God to be revealed that way is a challenging thing to comprehend. So at the end of chapter 8, after Jesus said, look, this is how it's going to be. If you want to save your life, you have to lose it. And the only way to live, to really live, is to die. And, and you know, what, what do you gain if you gain the whole world, but you forfeit your soul? What did, what did you really pick up? And so it's this whole process of death and resurrection and dying to ourselves that the life of Christ can live within us and, and live through us. And so the way that chapter ends, uh, Jesus says, look, I tell you what, um, There are some standing here who will not taste death until they see that the kingdom of God has come with power. And so the very next thing that happens is the one that are, a couple of the ones that are standing there, they see the the power of God come in a special way. And we call that the transfiguration. It's a trip up the mountain, uh, which evokes all these memories of Moses going up the mountain. That's where the after six days marker comes in. Moses is is on the mountain six days. So Mark is kind of saying, hey, it's about a week, but I want you to get the number six because I want you to think about Moses. I want you to think about the glory of God. Uh, Later, there's going to be a 
cloud. There's going to be all these illusions. And so Jesus takes with him uh, kind of his inner circle of disciples, Peter, James, and John. It's this, it's this format, this band of brothers. And already we're beginning to see that the context for transformation is community, this close community where people can be in the presence of Jesus and grow together. So they go up the high mountain, and Mark is just real succinct in how he tells it. Uh, Jesus was there, and he was transfigured before them, and that's all we get. (laughs) He was transfigured before them. We don't get any details about how it happened. It just happened, and then all of a sudden, there's a transformation of Jesus' appearance that is going to more accurately reflect Jesus' nature and their eyes are open and they're just in awe of what's happening. And not only that, but they get this special guest appearance from Moses and Elijah. And if you can just imagine whoever, you know, a celebrity, a faith hero, somebody that if you were to see them, you would just, you wouldn't be able to speak because you would be so in awe. Well, for you know, young men that grew up in a Jewish culture and heard the stories of the Old Testament, Moses and Elijah, they were it. And so all of a sudden, Peter, James, and John, they're seeing Moses and Elijah, and they just don't know what to say. Mark even says Peter didn't know what to say, so he said, oh gosh, Jesus, it's good that we're here. How about, I have an idea, how about we build a couple of tents? You know, we have a little camping trip up here, and we'll build one for Moses, and one for Elijah, and one for you. And Mark even says, he said that because he didn't know what else to say. And you got to love Peter. You can't fault him. That's a great thing to say. If you grew up in that culture, and you know that when the presence of God is with you, you want to keep it. You want to hang on to it. You want to build a tent. You want to stop and witness and be a part of what's happening. You want to behold the glory of God, just like the people of God did when they were wandering in the wilderness and they would build tents uh, because God was moving around and they were moving around. And God said, you know what? If my people are in tents, then I'll be in a tent too. So that's where the tabernacle came from. And it was this whole thing where God was committed to being with his people. And so that story continues in this story, and uh, they're just terrified. They don't know what to say. And then a cloud overshadows them, and you can just feel the peace of God in the story. And there's a voice that comes from the cloud. And it's the same voice that comes from a cloud at Jesus' baptism, and it's the voice of the Father. It's the voice of God. And this time he says, this is my beloved son. In the baptism, he says, you, Jesus, are my beloved son. And we, we kind of get to overhear. But in this story, he says, this is my beloved son. And then he adds three words, listen to him. In other words, this is really my son, this whole deal about the glory of God happening this way that Jesus must go suffer and die. And if you're going to follow Jesus, this is what it's going to look like. Listen to him. How many times have you heard someone say or ask the question, well, I don't know if God has ever spoken directly to me or not. And I'm thinking, we who are the readers and the listeners of this story, we've all had God speak directly to us. And you know what he said? This is my beloved son. Listen to him. God spoke directly and speaks today directly to all of us, saying, listen to my son. He's the real deal. This is the way to life. There are 3,797 million counterfeit ways for your life to change but this is the real deal. Listen to my son. And suddenly uh, they look around and they saw no one with them anymore, but only Jesus. And this beautiful story, uh, the way that it 
starts out is, again, Mark just saying really sharply, Jesus was transfigured before them. Uh, this word transfigured is the same word where we get the English word metamorphosis. It's metamorphothe. And it just, it, it means to be changed, to be transformed. It only occurs four times in the New Testament in the Greek. And, and the other time is when, in the Gospels, is when Matthew tells the same story. And then we get it in Romans 12 where Paul's talking about how we should be transformed by the renewing of our minds, that we shouldn't be conformed to the world, but we should allow our minds and our hearts to be changed. And then uh, the, the other time, the fourth time it occurs, is in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. And Paul is making allusions to guess what? Moses and how Moses was on the mountain with God and his face was changed and, and he had to veil his face because the glory of God was with him and the people couldn't stand to look. And so he goes on and Paul says this, now the Lord is the Spirit and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all with unveiled faces beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the likeness of Christ from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. So Paul's saying all of us as Christians, where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. We're all free from our past lives. We're free from the stuff that hangs us up, and we're free to be transformed. And we do that. We experience that transformation by beholding the glory of God, and we're slowly being transformed from one degree of glory to the next. And this happens, this work comes from the Lord, Paul says, who is the Spirit. And so this idea of being transformed is what I just want to kind of spend the rest of our time talking about today. And if I'm perfectly honest, this is a question I wrestle with all the time. Because we commonly in our jobs and in our work and raising our kids and teaching our kids to sort of navigate the world, we, how many times do we have to tell our kids, you know what, sometimes people just won't change. And you're just going to have to learn to deal with people how they are, right? How many times do we do that in our work relationships? We go, you know what, uh, it's too bad. We can sit here and cry about it, but that person's not going to change, so we might as well just learn to deal with it. And, and, and those things are, are very true. And then, of course, there's things like our personality and that sort of stuff that there's no need for that to really change. But a core conviction of Christianity is that we must change. We must be different. If I'm the same person that I was when I began following Jesus, then something's wrong. That probably means I'm not following Jesus or I'm following the wrong Jesus. And so this is something that is necessary uh, as part of the, Christian, of the Christian journey. And it's really part of the good news. It's part of the gospel. And I do believe that so strongly that it's not just about being rescued from a former life, being rescued from hell and being delivered into an eternal life of joy in the presence of God. But the Christian life also offers the gospel that says you can be transformed in the image of God in this life. The kingdom of God can be occurring in your life and can make changes in you. Eternal life starts now. It starts when we believe in Jesus and we begin to live in the presence of Jesus with other Christians. That's part of the transformation. Uh, the old Wesley hymn, O for a Thousand Tongues to Sing, says it this way. He breaks the power of canceled sin. He sets the prisoner free. His blood can make the foulest clean. His blood availed for me. There's a freedom where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. There's freedom to grow and change and be developed and be transformed. So I know this. I believe this. And then sometimes I look at my own life and I go, I don't know. Is this really going to happen? Is, can this happen? And so we're always asking, can people really change? Can people really change? 
And in my lexicon this week of places to look for wrestling with the reality of whether or not people can change, uh, I ended up on a uh, great songwriter named Billy Joe Shaver, uh, who died back in October of this year. Does anyone, anyone, any Billy Joe Shaver fans out there? And so uh, Billy Joe Shaver has this great song that's called, I'm Just an Old Chunk of Coal. Now, and, and I thought I was going to be using that song. I remembered the song, and I thought, I'm going to use that song to talk about how we miss it as Christians and how growth really happens. And I was assuming, having not listened to the song in a while, that this was a song about, I'm just an old sorry dog, I'm just an old chunk of coal, but someday when I get to heaven, everything will be great. Well, much to my pleasant surprise, that's not what the song's about at all. In fact, Billy Joe Shaver talks about this was a low point in his life. He was deciding, you know what, something's either got to give or I'm, I'm not going to stay on this earth anymore. I'm going to take my life. And he goes out to a place where he's familiar. He's outside, and he has this conversion experience. And he writes the first part of this song going, I'm at a low spot now, but because of Christ, I think there's hope for me. And in fact, guess what song Johnny Cash sang when he was in drug and alcohol rehab? Every morning, he later told Billy Joe Shaver, he said, I sang that song every morning when I was in rehab. I'm just an old chunk of coal, but I'm going to be a diamond someday. And it's not a song about the afterlife. It's not a song about later on when we die and Jesus makes everything great. It's a song about being made perfect in this life, which is part of the message of the gospel, that we can be perfected in love in this life. What I assumed was him missing it and saying it'll all change and be better after I die. He's saying, no, I expect my language to change. I'm going to learn to walk the walk. I'm going to learn to talk the talk. I'm going to have a smile on my face that other people can recognize. He said, I want my life to be different. I'm not okay with where I'm at. My life is miserable, and I want something to change. And he placed all of his trust in Jesus. And uh, it's just a, a beautiful story. But I love the reality that, hey, sometimes we feel like that. It's a low spot. It's a low place. And we wonder if we'll ever get out or if anything will be different. And that affirmation that, yeah, I've made mistakes. And, yeah, I've been in a low spot. But th- with ho- there's, there's hope with Christ. And, I, and that can change. Things are going to be different someday. Not someday in the far future, but someday like maybe today. Maybe tomorrow things are going to begin to change and slowly things develop. And I realized this week that, you know, it's when I'm asking, can people really change? The real question I'm asking is, can I really change? You know, because that's one question of speculation about what everybody else is going to do. But the real thing that keeps me up at night is, will I change? Will I be transformed into the image of God? Or will I be the same guy at 47 that I am at 41. So maybe I made some developments and some, thing cha- some things changed and yeah, there was great growth from 20 to 30 or 30 to 40 or whatever, but what about from now until the next milestone? Am I gonna make those milestones with my kids, with our congregation, with our community, with our culture, with the world? Am I gonna be able to change and adapt and be able to be like Moses and like Elijah and like Christ in a world that needs this kind of news more than ever. Well, I, am I willing to change? And so that makes it a whole different question and one that really keeps it in between the lines of something that I can keep my eyes on, that I can sort of reach out and touch. And so if we will 
stay the course, if we will hang on to Jesus, and you know, that's part of the good news is we don't have to do this alone. In fact, if we try to do it alone, it's going to be miserable and frustrating. But that little note at the end of the story, did you catch the detail that Mark gives us? That when Moses and Elijah are gone, and it's just Jesus on the mountain, well, there's three people still there. There's still James, there's still John, and there's still Peter. They're not expected to do it alone. And it's that context that will be part of their great transformation. So when one's having a low day, one's having a I'm not sure if I believe this anymore day, one's having a I'm not sure how long I can hang on during this hard time day, there's always a couple more. And there's somebody else that can come in and say, hey, I know it's that way right now. But we hope in a great God. And things can change. And there's change that happens over time that we couldn't honestly even recognize now. If we're on the journey with Jesus toward the cross and we're laying down our lives and we're watching as Jesus grows our own will and our, and our ability to believe and our ability to love as that's happening, if we believe that, some of it will just be change that we hardly notice. It might be 30 years from now that we look back and someone else helps us see, hey, you know, you used to be this way. And I watched as you changed to become this so that you could serve in this way or so that you could be healed in this way so that you would forgive yourself in this way, but this could actually happen. So this is the ground for transformation, to keep following Jesus and make sure we don't do it alone. And I think if we do that, we're going to find ourselves pleasantly surprised by the power of the gospel to transform our lives. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.